Welcome to the Seattle Public Library's podcasts of author readings and library events, a series of readings, performances, lectures, and discussions. Library podcasts are brought to you by the Seattle Public Library and Foundation. To learn more about our programs and podcasts, visit our website at www.spl.org. To learn how you can help the Library Foundation support the Seattle Public Library, go to foundation.spl.org. The podcast you are about to hear was recorded in 2011. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Seattle Biblio Cafe, Episode 8. Uh, a bunch of librarians getting together and having some coffee and talking about books. Today we have myself, that's David, and Jared and Carol here. So, what have you been reading, Carol? Well, I have just finished a, a book that has just blown me away. And it's re- it's a, it was recommended to me by another teen librarian, Hayden. And it's, the name of it is Revolver, and it's by Marcus Sedwick. He's a British writer. It came out just about a year ago in April 2010, and it's absolutely brilliantly written. It's a historical fiction, psychological thriller. And the most, the thing that you get from this book most of all is its sparseness. It's as though the author wrote it and then took out every word that's absolutely that, that wasn't absolutely necessary. So it's very sparse. The setting is sparse. It's set in Nome, Alaska, and um, an area um, in the Arctic Circle. And it's, it's historical fiction. Part of it is set in 1899, and the other part in the Arctic Circle area is in 1910. And the revolver of the title is a Colt 4440. And it is as much a character in the book as the other characters. And it revolves around two teenagers, uh, a, a boy and a girl, and their, their parents and a very, very complicated stranger that comes into their lives. And when I say it's really sparse, this stranger speaks in almost one-word sentences. But he is extremely eloquent in those sentences, and he's terrifying. It's it's a thriller in that uh, there's you, you really do not know what is going to happen next in this book. There's no predicting it, and it's it revolves around these wonderfully big themes of faith and love and parental lessons. But most of all, it's about choosing the person that you truly want to be in the world. And and the author makes a point. He writes a, a, a lovely afterward. He, he it's a very w- well researched book, by the way. Mm-hmm. And he writes a uh, an afterward where he explains that he really believes there's always a third choice, even when you are faced with two very terrible choices, as one of the characters is in in the book. Mm-hmm. There's a third choice, but it takes an awful lot to figure that out. And that is, that is, that's what, you know, the book hinges on survival, surviving in a really, really austere environment that, that will just suck the life out of you. And the, it's, yeah. it's so cold, ice crystals form in your, in your lungs. You so, know? It, so it's written as a, it was written for teens? It is written for teens, but I would say uh, it, 
it's the kind of book that you could really recommend to teens and adults as well. It, it's a very intense book, so I wouldn't go much lower than uh, teens, 13 or so, But because um, a lot of terrible things happen in yeah. the book, but you are just dumbstruck with the beauty of it all. Excellent. And that is... Uh... Revolver by Marcus Sedwick. Well... Uh, my book is a nonfiction book that I kind of just picked up because the cover grabbed me. Um, it's called Ask Me Why I Hurt. It's by Dr. Randy Christensen. Um, it's a very personal account of his time um, spent as a Phoenix area pediatrician. Um, over the past 10 years, he spent um, treating homeless youth um, in the Phoenix, Arizona area in his portable portable medical facility called Big Blue. Um, Christensen and his very, very small staff um, converted a Winnebago into um, a hospital on wheels, and they would go to the different communities, uh, different areas known where homeless youth were known to hang out, um, and kind of to reach out to those underserved populations that probably aren't going to go into a hospital or a clinic because... Obviously, they're homeless youth. They don't have insurance or anything like that. What struck me the most about the book was, you know, it, he does a really great job of kind of his shock and dismay about the way the healthcare system is run and uh, the way that these, you know, um, the cycle of um, homelessness and all of that, how it, it, he does a really good job of kind of him coming in as a naive young doctor and the reader kind of gets that as he's you know experienced these kind of sometimes really horrific things you know there's a lot of misery a lot of poverty a couple of scenes that really just stood out to me were the number of he mentions the number of times he had to remove cockroaches from kids ears because they sleep in parks and stuff and cockroaches like burrow in and they like clamp onto their inner ear and he has to and they can't get them out and it's this super painful thing and um this other scene about this kid who did not have clean socks and he's homeless and he just walks around and was not able to change his socks for about six months and they had grafted to the bottom of his feet and had started to putrefy. Um, you okay. know, so it's really... <laughs> so I need you to tell me why I should why I need to read this book. So you need to read this book because it... <laughs> It's not exploitative in its in, in the way that it presents these kind of horrific things. Um, you know, there's a lot of sad things that happen in the book, even and it's also interlaced with um, Dr. Christensen's like home life, which is not as rosy, um, you know, as he would like as well. Um, but you know, it's it's not exploitative in the way that it does it. It's it's more just informative and um, it's a very sobering look at the healthcare system. It's not it's not simply. Uh, you know, it's an indictment of the healthcare system, but it's not, it's a the personal over the political, definitely. And it, it weaves just the right amount of his, you know, personal history with the anecdotes of, you know, serving this really unique population. Um, and the memoir, while it is sobering, it is very uplifting and just kind of shows that really people can make a difference. You know, I don't usually read those kinds of books, but um, it was very powerful. And that's called... That is Ask Me Why I Hurt by Dr. Randy Christensen. Thank you.
Okay, well, I'm taking us back to the world of historical uh, crime thrillers that where we began with Carol. Um, I just read a book called Occupied City by a British writer named David Peace, who I've been meaning to read for a few years now. I keep seeing him, and he looks interesting. And, oh, I'm so glad I did. Um, this is actually based on a, on a true story. Um, in Tokyo in the winter of 1948, um, in, in the middle of the town, a bank... Right after closing one day, uh, an official came up to the bank, a government official from the Bureau of Health, and he had all his paperwork and his armband from the occupying services, and he got admittance to the bank, and he told the people there that there was a dysentery outbreak going on in the area. Um, there was a well that was poisoned, and they thought one of their customers had the dysentery, so they needed to inoculate the staff. So they gathered everybody together, these 16 people, a couple of children, the staff, the cleaning crew, whatever, and gathered them together, and he had two bottles of medicine written in, in English, drug one and drug two, and he, and he put them all, a dropper of each, in these teacups, and everybody drank the first drug, and they had them wait a minute and administered a second drug, at which point all hell broke loose, and within minutes, ten of them had died. Um, shortly after, two more died in hospital, four managed to survive out of the 16, poisoned by this mysterious stranger. This is a famous case um, in Japan, kind of like the, the Black Dahlia case is here. And somebody was convicted of the crime. Somebody served a life sentence for the crime. But there's a lot of speculation to this day as to whether he was really guilty or whether there were other things going on. So already it's a really great setup for a crime story. But what's amazing about this book is the way in which it is told. It's a, it's a novel, a mystery, I guess you could say. And a very perplexing mystery, uh, indeed. Um, the style is fascinating. I think he's inspired by um, Rashomon, and he tells it through all these different points of view, um, and in all these different voices, and some really radically different ones. For example, the second chapter is told by the victims themselves. The, they, they're called the weepers, the ghosts of these people wandering the city um, with this unresolved crime um, in, a, in a tone that's really expressionistic. It almost it kind of feels like Greek tragedy more than like Raymond Chandler. This next chapter is a detective's report written in this kind of lean telegraphic style, uh, just nothing but the facts. And then there's a newspaper story and an investigation. All these pieces kind of jumbled together um, for a crime story that resolves, sort of? I don't know, but I read a lot of crime, and sometimes I get a little tired of just the, the standard formulas out of Chandler and Christie, and this is so far from that. Um, it's radically different. The nearest thing I can think of to compare it to is um, William Faulkner once wrote a collection of mystery stories, which not many people know about, and although the writing is not like Faulkner's writing, it's that kind of experience to read, where this just language washes over you, um, not not just with literal logical sense, but with all this feeling, and it's really very different. Um, fascinating book, quite disturbing book. Um, it involves biological warfare and some true things that went on in Manchuria at the time. Um, but uh, certainly a writer that I'm looking forward to reading more of. He wrote a book preceding this called Tokyo Year Zero, set in 1946, uh, right after the war. And this is the second of his Tokyo books, um, Occupied City, and I guess there's going to be a third one. Um, but just chilling for people who like crime fiction with a, with a difference. I really loved it. That sounds good. Anything else? What, what else have you been reading? Well, I just finished. Um, I just finished River of Doubt, which is a little bit older. It came out in mm -hmm. 2006. Candace Millard 
It's about Teddy Roosevelt going down the River of Doubt, which is a wonderful name for a river in Brazil. And it just goes to show, no matter how rich you are, smart you are, learned, or exalted position in the world, you can make some. Your ego can lead you to make some really dumb choices, which Roosevelt did, and he sort of took this uh, journey down the river on a whim totally unprepared, and came close to dying as well as killing everybody else on the journey. So it's another survival story, but it's extremely well told. Lots of lots of research went into the book. It's, um, it's fascinating. Excellent. I have a graphic novel. I've been revisiting the, um, the gothic classics. Um, they're actually, it's part of the graphic classic series, um, and this one that I've been reading, um, the graphic classics, it includes some really, really great artists, um, illustrators with uh, doing interpretations of some classic stories. And I tell you, it's the best way to read Jane Austen, <laughs> especially for those of us who would never read her. Because not, not with zombies? N- not with zombies. I, outside of with I zombies. To read her. But, <laughs> but the, um, particularly the, the interpretation of Northanger Abbey um, is just really, really awesome stuff. But um, I highly recommend it. There's different ones. Um, there's horror ones. There's adventure ones. Um, there's a really great one um, with an O. Henry story that is absolutely fantastic and um, it has that kind of classic O. Henry ending that um, is very apropos. <laughs> well, I just really love pulp fiction, and uh, the problem with pulp fiction, like old sort of classic pulp fiction from the 50s, is that it's pulp. So a lot of the best, most obscure stuff is just doesn't exist anymore. That's like every trip to Powell's is, a, is for me to try and find something I've never heard of. So I really love it when a publisher like Stark House, which specializes in reprinting old pulp novels, um, brings out something that I have no idea. This is, this is a book called One for Hell by a writer named Jada M. Davis. I've never heard of, I mean, I read this stuff. I read noir. I've never heard of Jada Davis because he wrote two books and that's it. But this is really good. Um, It reminds me a little bit of uh, The Killer Inside Me by Jim Thompson. It's a story of a a mean drifter who gets off a train in West Texas in this oil town. He's going to maybe get a little bit of money from the locals and winds up getting hired as the sheriff because they need somebody to be a bad sheriff to kind of look the other way while they're doing what they do. Turns out he's a really bad sheriff, maybe a little more bad than, they, than they'd bargained for. So basically it's a showdown between these horrible scumbags um, who run this town and an out-and-out sociopath. I always like a book where you get to wrote, root for the sociopath, which you do in this book. Um, so this is One for Hell by Jada Davis, which is a, a fine old noir, forgotten classic, and, but very memorable. So thank you for joining us for uh, Biblio Cafe, Seattle Biblio Cafe. And we'll see you next time. (laughs) Bye-bye. This podcast was presented by the Seattle Public Library and Foundation and made possible by your contributions to the Seattle Public Library Foundation. Thanks for listening.